Enjoy fun adventures as you sail away together and experience the extraordinary marriage you desire. Join us in April 2025 for the Six Pillars at Sea Marriage Getaway. Yes, we are taking Six Pillars cruising and we want you to join us. Get all the details at oneextraordinarymarriage.com slash getaway. Use promo code SHIPSAHOY to get $500 off your registration today. We'll see you there. Episode four. Welcome back to One Extraordinary Marriage. You're here with Elisa DiLorenzo. And Tony DiLorenzo. We're here to talk to you about life, love, and pursuit of intimacy in your marriage. That's right. It's been quite a week for us since we last spoke with you. Uh, Tony, you want to tell them about our <laughs> eventful week? Yeah, we've had a we've had a tough week here in the DiLorenzo household. You know, last Tuesday, I ended up getting some stomach bug, which I thought was food poisoning, which put me down for... Man, 12 hours, good, a good hard throw up session. And man, it was tough in this household. That was Tuesday night. That was Tuesday night. Wednesday, I was recovering. Uh, Alex and Abby have been out of sorts lately, so we really haven't been sleeping. I didn't sleep well Wednesday night. Thursday, getting better, but still the kids are just not sleeping for some reason. Come Friday, still the same sort of thing. I'm getting better. Again, Abby is waking up. And then Saturday night, we get hit again. This time, Abby's throwing up from, I think I woke up with her at about 1030. Yeah. And she didn't stop throwing up till about 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. Well, there was a couple hour break there in between. And then she woke up again at 2.30 and it was every 20 minutes until about 6 o'clock. Elisa was sleeping on the floor with Abby. I got a a photo of Abby up on my Facebook page there of Abby sleeping on the floor on Sunday morning. It had to be about eight, nine o'clock. The poor girl was just passed out. And to say the least, Elisa and I have been dead, tired, as many of you listening know with kids. It, it gets it gets a little rough when nobody's getting sleep like we have been. And, and it, it's just been tough this past week. And then last night, so tonight's Monday night, we're, we're, we're recording here on Monday night, and last night, Alex ends up waking up. I don't know what time that was. Oh, I do. He told me it was exactly 2.11. <laughs> it was 2. So, 2.11 a.m., we are awakened with by Alex. Mommy, my stomach hurts. And so, Alex ends up in our hallway on our blanket bed, and we just prayed and prayed that he wouldn't start throwing up, and luckily he didn't. But Abby woke up sometime in the early morning to bother Elisa and then me in bed. So here we are tonight. Hopefully. Awake. <laughs> hopefully we'll stay awake and <laughs> hopefully we'll actually get sleep tonight. Those are the two things we're, uh, we're looking forward to. Definitely praying for sleep tonight because we just need it. And as many of you know, this time of year with kiddos and germs running about. And I've become a germaphobe this yes. past year. Yes, Germex. Germex is the number one thing in our household. That kids coughing. If I'm coughing, I mean I'm busting out the Germex. I'm not. I'm not shy with Germex, and we definitely get our flu shots and everything. Who knows what this bug was? But from talking to a number of other parents and family members or families that we know here in town, it's been running a little rampant all over. So we are just glad that we're awake that you're here with us tonight and we're excited because we have some really cool stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. It, uh, last week we actually received some listener feedback and I want to share with you this email that I received. Um, we're going to be addressing some of the points that she brought up here, but I want to share her words with you and we're going to take it from there after I finish. Hi, Elisa. I have been following your blog and podcast And while you most likely have had many positive comments, I have been nothing but annoyed. I have been debating writing to you since the very first writing of your 60-day experience and have finally decided to do so. I hope you take my comments seriously and possibly use them to strengthen your message. One of my first reactions to your commentary was why should I be listening to them talk about having an extraordinary marriage? I searched your site to try and figure out why. From what I could glean, you've been married 13 years, together for 15. Okay, I don't think that's enough to qualify. 
I have known marriages that have dissolved after 30 years. I have been married 11 years, but have been with my husband for 19 years. I also determined that somehow you two got yourselves out of debt. Well, so have many others, and they may or may not have a good marriage. I noticed from a post of Facebook, you may have lost a child, but I don't know how that affected your marriage. You make no mention of it on your blog, and that is certainly your right. You had sex for 60 days. While I have known many couples that have great physical relationships, but miserably unstable marriages. So is that it? Is the fact that you had sex for 60 days why I should be listening to you? Every time I listen, I can't help but think, why do they think they can tell me about marriage and how to make it extraordinary? You have yet to establish that basic foundation. Why are you doing this? Why do you think you have something insightful to offer me? What is your opinion of how marriages should work so I can determine whether we are on the same page and even if I should listen to you? So Elisa gives me this email on Wednesday morning after my throw-up session on Tuesday night. And I, and I will have to say, at first, I was taken aback. I was, I was a bit hurt. And, and, and even if I was well, I would have been that way because here's somebody giving us some pretty harsh critiques and, and the email goes on from there. But we're gonna just start with this first section tonight. And it's hurtful when you come out and you're trying to start something new, something different, and hopefully impacting lives. That's that's what we wanted to do and want to do when we first started One Extraordinary Marriage. I actually had a slightly different reaction. Um, one, this particular listener took the time to write to us. So my first reaction was, yay, somebody out there is listening and they're taking the time to respond to us and to really give to give feedback, good and bad. You know, she's right. We have had a lot of positive comments, but I was so thrilled that she took the time to voice her her concerns about our message. My second thought was she put a lot of time into this and we as a couple are very appreciative of somebody investing that time back in us to help us do exactly what she said, which is to strengthen our marriage. Right. So we want to take some time tonight to hit on some of the points that she brought up so that you all know better who we are and why we're doing this, where the name comes from, what we're doing here behind the microphones. Um, so bear with us as we, we share some of those insights with you. And, yeah. you know, do you want to talk about the name? You know what? I want to talk about just starting one. Okay. You know, because one came out of what we did with our 60 days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we did that, that was for us and we chose to share it with our small group. The cool thing is that we had such an awesome response from our small group. We felt like, hey, you know what? We shouldn't keep this to ourselves. And it wasn't just the sex. No. We talk about sex a lot on our podcast. We've mentioned on our blog. We became such a deeper couple. Because of it. Because of that experience. I really feel that having to work on our communication daily, mm-hmm. having to work through issues that came up during that 60 days. It really, when we came up against difficult times, it really made us work on ourselves and our marriage. Oh yeah. Well, we couldn't get around it. I right. mean, we had made a commitment to, to the physical. And so we had to work on all the other aspects so that we could honor that commitment to the physical. Right. But I really feel like over that 60 days, we were, we started out as two people that said, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to, you know, Tony had his agenda and I had my agenda and, you know, like, okay, you know, power through 60 days, we can do this. And I really feel that by the time it ended, we had become one. Yeah, definitely. Sharing a common goal, sharing a common agenda. Right. Which was our marriage. Which was our marriage. And so while we do talk about the physical aspect of our marriage a lot, part of that's because it's incredibly important to us. Right. So I guess we should back up. Let's back up. And we're going to get to one, what it means here and why we are doing what we're doing. Where one comes from. One comes from the Bible. Elisa and I have our faith grounded in Christ. And so when we were really looking at this and what do you call this new venture, this new business, this new ministry to reach married couples. 
we had a lot of good folks around us helping us try to figure this out. And one of the verses that we came across that uh, many of you listening know of and may have read, and those who haven't, I'm going to read it for you. It comes out of Mark chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one separate them, for God has joined them together. This had always you know, been a scripture verse that Tony and I knew, but it wasn't until we really committed to working on our marriage that this verse became our our marriage verse, our relationship verse. This is what we what we focus on to becoming one. I mean, we can have our, you know, separate businesses. We can, you know, do stuff independently. You won't catch me on a bicycle. Tony has no problem spending 18 hours on a bicycle. Um, but in our marriage, in our relationship, we give 100%. On both sides. On both sides. This isn't 50-50. And, and, uh, and you and I came up upon that when we were going through our 60 days. We really started realizing that, you know what, this 50-50 is a bunch of BS. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm only giving 50% of myself to this marriage, it's a bunch of BS because I'm not giving my all. And so Elisa and I really truly started believing in our marriage and in ourselves and in giving 100% of ourselves to our marriage. And that really, I think, addresses the one question that she brought up. What, uh, how did she phrase it? What is your opinion of how marriages should work? First and foremost, it's 100% on both sides. And for those who, who need to add, that's 200%. When you're investing all of yourself in your marriage, you are committed, you are strengthening your marriage. That's not to say that you don't have other obligations. We have many obligations. But we make our marriage the priority. priority. After God. After God. That's why we have a scripture verse. Right. And, and we, prioritize, we prioritize our lives mm-hmm. from the top down. And when we say from the top down, we mean God comes first, our marriage comes second, our kids comes third, our work comes fourth, other activities come fifth. That's a, that's a, big, a big challenge. Very big at times. Because Be- those can get skewed all the time. All the they time. Do. And you ask my kids, they'll tell you that I'm, instead of saying screwed up, probably skewed up. Um, <laughs> you know, as a mom, you juggle wanting to do everything and keeping priorities in order. And one of the things that happened in the last year and a half is that I have made Tony a higher priority than my kids. Right. Um, and it, I've made activities a lower priority than my family. Right. Because cycling a couple of years back, Cycling was my God. And when we talk about the top down, again, God first, spouse, your marriage second, third comes kids, fourth comes work, other activities. My other activity of cycling, for those of you who follow me on Facebook and know that I ride thousands of miles a year, that was my God. That was number one. God was maybe second. Elisa was Man, I think Elisa was, and our marriage was down there at third, maybe fourth, work came before. So I was screwed up. I was really messed up on how I was attacking our marriage and my life too. And you paid for it. I paid for it dearly. I mean, it was a, it was a tumble. It was a, it was a hard fall and a literal fall when I hit a woman running one day. On his bike. Yeah. 530 in the morning, I get a phone call. I hit a runner. That's another story. <laughs> we're getting a little off. We'll, we'll little talk off. about that yeah. later. That's just kind of, but it was a literal and, and figurative fall that made him realize, you know, my priorities are out of whack. And as a mom, you know, when your kids are little and some of you listening have little kids, you do have a priority to them. You know, they, they are fully dependent on you for everything. Um, but first and foremost, your marriage. And, and above that, where's your relationship with Christ? Because if you are rock solid on your foundation with Christ, everything else is going to fall into place. And yes, little kids are going to, they are, they're going to take priority at times. 
but we need to find times to be intimate with our spouse. And part of that's what we talked about last week with scheduling time, and we're not going to rehash that. But we want to, you know, explain our priority system. And that's a system that, you know, we don't know what your faith background is. But for us, this is how we operate our lives. Do we struggle with it? Yes. All the the time. time. You know, we're not perfect. And, you know, that's another thing about us. Um, One extraordinary marriage is not a self-glorifying title for our marriage. One glo- one extraordinary marriage is what we hope for all of you. You know, when we were talking about what we were going to name this and we're having all these conversations, obviously marriage was going to be part of the title. Um, but you start doing, what do you call it? Google searches or name searches? Oh, on, on GoDaddy? Oh, yeah, whatever. When we were looking for, do, the, for do name, domain, domain names? names, thank you. <laughs> T- Tony's yes. the highly technical side. I just get to you know sit here and talk. Right. But we were searching domain names, yeah. and when you start typing in one, because we had that focus of to become one, to become one is already taken. Um, and so then it was and one dot com, one dot net, one dot org. You're not getting those people. Sorry. So, but we knew that these were two components. Yes. One that in, one, one in, in marriage. marriage. But that wasn't enough for us because as we started talking about, you know, what have we learned and what do we want to share with people and what do we want people to have? We were sitting there one day and all of a sudden extraordinary popped into, I think it popped into my head. Sure. Take I'll, I'll take credit take for it. Take the credit I'll for take it. credit for this one. So we can go back years from now and go, oh yes, Elisa did come up with that. If not, I'm happy to change the credit over to him. But for right now, <laughs> we'll give it to for Elisa. right now I'm taking it. Um, and so we said, you know, one extraordinary marriage. And as we started talking through what that meant. Well, and I got on GoDaddy.com and they had it available as a domain name. So first of all, it was available. So we grabbed it. <laughs> Along with, I don't know, probably six or seven other domain names as we were yeah. going through that process. Yeah. Uh, but and more, for, one, for those of you who are listening, it's one, O-N-E, ExtraordinaryMarriage.com. As opposed to the number one. Yeah, okay. which we should probably should get. That's, <laughs> he'll probably be Googling here in a minute. Uh, but that name had all the components of what we were trying to, what we were trying to do with our message. Mm -hmm. We were trying to share with people that you do need to go from two to becoming one. It's not enough to be two people that live in the same house that have gone through a ceremony and say, you know, we're married, but you don't do anything together. You don't, have common interests. You don't even try and have common interests. I mean, we've had friends in the past who have had, you know, separate lives. Yes, they had a ceremony, but separate checking accounts. And, you know, he would do his thing and she would do her thing. And you know what? It didn't last. Yeah. And that was a really sad thing for us to see, but they never became one yep. in marriage. And do we have all the answers? No. On what it takes to become extraordinary? No. We're going to help. We've learned a lot. And, you know, the listener had brought up, you know, is it a function of time? And my response to that is no. You know, there are people that have been married, you know, very short periods of time, but have gone through tremendous challenges, tremendous life experiences. Hardship. Hardship. And while they may have only been married a short amount of time, they have truly extraordinary marriages, marriages that are rock solid because they have learned through their life experiences how to be committed, how to support and encourage one another. Same thing on the flip side. There are marriages that my grandparents were married, good grief, I think almost 60 years, maybe 65 before my grandfather died. And, you know, they, I mean, they'd been through everything together, kids and grandkids and death and life and you know they they stayed together through all of these challenges and you produced this wonderful family and you know it's not a function of time it's a function of life experiences and you know taking two imperfect people yep a lifetime of experiences whether it's a short lifetime or a long lifetime and saying i choose I choose to work through whatever we have to go through with you. 
that makes it extraordinary. Yep, definitely does. <laughs> so moving on to more questions in here. Um, you was know, I, one of th- was I supposed to say more there? Sorry. <laughs> I thought you. I thought you. You were looking at me, and so I thought you were going somewhere. I'm sorry. I, I, I was just listening to you, and and I agree with what you're saying. One of the other things that she had brought up uh, was some of our personal life experiences, and you know, we've kind of approached podcasting as this is our weekly conversation with all of you, um, and my immediate response was, you know, when you first meet someone, you don't necessarily uh, lay all your stuff down there. You know, all of the baggage that you carry. Uh, You know, I know there are blogs out there. I know there are probably podcasts out there where, you know, people come right out and they list everything that's happened, um, the good and the bad. And as we, we are in development, we are in process. Yeah, where we are today, stick with us because in five years, who knows where we're going to be. I'll tell you one thing is that we're following a path that God has made and we're just going for it. And I know there's some, it's going to be rough right now. It's going to be hard. You Folks are probably going to be wondering, what are they writing? What are they talking about? But that's part of life and that's part of growing. And, you know, just recently, Elisa and I found a conference that's going to be held in August in Scottsdale, Arizona for marriage educators. And we're actually making that our family vacation. We are going to take the kids. We're going to spend five hot days in Scottsdale, Arizona in August, which (laughs) doesn't really. That's the only drawback. That is. Yeah. Heat's not my, uh, my forte, but we're, we are serious about what we're doing and we got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So this is where we're starting. Luckily, there's uh, thousands of great resources out there to learn, and we're going to keep growing. So we hope that you stick with us through this and you give us feedback. And you can send that feedback to Elisa at AskElisa at OneExtraordinaryMarriage.com or to me at AskTony at OneExtraordinaryMarriage.com. You can, also, you can also call our listener feedback line 24-7. You're not going to bother us. Leave us a message. And we can even put that on the air here. And that number is 858-754-9937 because we want to hear what what you guys have to say. We want to know about your marriages. We want to know what's happening. We want to know if we're on the right track. That's true. You know, because we might not be. And we're okay with hearing, hey, you know what, guys, where are you going with this? You know, what are you, what are you talking about? Why are you talking about this? Um, you know, go, again, going back to the listener's uh, response to us, one of the things that she had mentioned was, you know, you make mention of getting out of debt and you might have lost a child, but I have no idea um, how that affected your marriage. Well, getting out of debt, for those of you who have been in debt and have gone out of debt, you know how much of a, of a difference that makes in your life. Getting out of debt is one of the greatest things that Elisa and I ever did as a couple. We worked our butts together. We came together and really engaged in our financial intimacy together. We had a purpose. We had a plan and we worked together and we slept in Spokane, Washington through the winter with no heat on and about 12 inches of blankets on top of us. So once we got in our bed, you weren't rolling over, (laughs) you couldn't roll over. You didn't have physical intimacy in Spokane, Washington in the middle of winter when you had that many blankets on. It was too dang cold. It was cold to get to the bathroom. I could see my breath in my apartment. So, uh, I'm sorry. But oh, no, that's okay. I was just going to say, but that was a choice we made. You know, we always knew when we were going to be physically intimate because somebody would leave the heat on in the bedroom. We had all these <laughs> wall heaters. and um, right. But it was a choice that we made. It was, but we became, back then we didn't know. We didn't understand the different forms of intimacy, which we're going to hit on upon tonight. And we're going to, and we're going to start digging deeper in those on these six forms of intimacy as we move forward. But we didn't know that financial intimacy was one of the six forms. We didn't understand it, but we grew closer together when we understood that. Mm -hmm. And so that was what, back 2001, 2002. Uh, and, And so we, 
you know, kind of in a nutshell, and we can, you know, sort of pull this apart in another podcast, we got really crazy serious about getting out of debt. We didn't have kids at the time. Tony was working. I was working. We moved from Orange County to Orange County, California to Spokane, Washington. Complete lifestyle change. Fortunately, our rent dropped by about, you know, two thirds. Half. Half. It wasn't two thirds. It was half. Oh, and now you don't need a move. It was just that was a, that was a decision that we made for a number of different reasons. Yeah. But the gist of it is, is that we cut back on everything. We didn't have cable. We didn't go out to eat except maybe once a month. We didn't. You know, I spent ridiculously low amounts of money at the grocery store. You you actually even took public transportation to go to to and from work because I did. we didn't want to spend the money on gas, and it was only what, a 10, 15 mile round trip yeah. from where we lived on the north side to downtown. We would carpool together. We would carpool. I would take the bus. Um, it was some difficult times, but gosh, you know what? We look back now and go, we did it. I mean, high five me on that. I high mean, five. That, that, that's some good stuff. I mean, when, when you work on something like that, it's amazing how the intimacy, the finance, now we're going to, we're going to break it down. It's called financial intimacy, how you get very connected together. Well, and the, the end result of that is, is that over the last eight years, we're going yeah. on eight years, we talk about our finances all Open. the time. Yeah. Openly. I mean, our kids know that we don't use credit cards. That was a decision that we made. We carry no credit cards None. and we haven't since 2001. Uh, we buy everything on cash or we use our debit card. And if we don't have the money for it, we don't buy it. And our kids operate under that system too. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we got really serious and my whole pay at that point in time was going towards paying off our debt because then we found out I was pregnant with Alex and we had an even greater incentive to be debt free before he was born. Um, so those were, yeah, those are some things that we had to overcome on the financial side. Right. And looking back to what we did, uh, a year and a half ago with the 60 days, of sex, we wouldn't have been able to connect if we had this looming debt. I know Elisa and I, now you might be able to, you might be able to go out there, have sex, make love to your spouse and not bother you. For us, the debt that we were under caused severe limitations to our physical intimacy. It was stressful. It was, it was like a heavy rock was on our shoulders and it was just crushing us. So that's Elisa and I. Now you may be out there going, heck, God, it doesn't bother me. That's fine. But does it bother your spouse? And that's something to keep in mind. I mean, I used to dread going to the mailbox. And, you know, I mean, now we get our monthly bills. They're budgeted for. You know, they fluctuate within 5 to $10 for utilities. And we move on. And we move on. Yeah. And that's been that's been a long process. It wasn't like we suddenly became financially responsible overnight but we talk about it. Yeah. And that's, you know, so that is when she asked about our getting out of debt, uh, you know, we went from there. The other thing that she had mentioned was losing a child. And we did lose a child um, between and Alex. I think it, well, uh, and if you go onto our blog, go to On an Island, mm -hmm. we do discuss it there. And there's some great commentary going on on that blog post. And maybe we didn't go in. I, I, didn't I don't read think it. we went fully into detail. We didn't go fully into detail. So do we want to do that tonight? I, I can talk about it. Okay. Um, if I do get a little emotional, those of you that have gone through this experience, um, you will understand that. In 2004, Alex was two years old. Uh, it was a year and a half when I found out I was pregnant. And it was a different pregnancy for me. I wasn't gaining very much weight. Um, and at my 17 week checkup, I went in, had, you know, the, one of the blood tests, not a problem that night, my water broke. And, uh, so we were, you know, in the emergency room, they were doing ultrasounds. We found out that I was carrying another little boy and I had doctors tell me that it was time because my water broke and this was such a rare thing. Most likely I would go into labor and lose this child. And so the recommendations that we were given were that it would be best to terminate the pregnancy. And I'm not going to go into the politics of that. For us, 
We chose not to. We chose not to. Our son had a heartbeat and we had numerous ultrasounds over the next week. We were seeing neonatologists. We were at Children's and UCSD and, you know, a number of excellent hospitals here in San Diego. And every time we went in, you know, I could have sworn he was waving to us. Um, and I told my doctors, for me, termination was not an option. As long as it was not jeopardizing my health right. and, you know, putting me in danger um, that we were going to continue with this pregnancy. What? And one thing that starts to happen when this occurred in our family is it's weird. There becomes this division that was going on. Like my parents would come to me and go, hey, Tony, what's Elisa thinking? Why is she talking like this? And they would talk to me in one sense hey, you need to end this. And then they would talk to Elisa in a whole nother way. Hey, honey, you know, you're, are you doing okay? And so there became a lot of burden put upon my shoulders. And this wasn't just my folks. I had numerous friends. Uh, we had, uh, it just, it seemed like it was coming from everywhere. We were being attacked. I was being attacked. And so it made it very tense in our household for me to talk to Elisa because Elisa was very emotional. I was looking at this as a guy's way, which is let's just move on with our lives. What are we messing with here? I was very frank, very detached. And I know I caused a lot of hurt with my words. That's the first time he's ever said that. Um, what podcasting podcasting, <laughs> podcasting, can podcasting brings you closer uh a week after my water broke and I, your brother was here my brother was here yeah. and we had actually not told my parents my parents were flying out for alex's birthday on december 13th and i had they were going to be out for christmas so i had this great plan i'm like oh we're going to surprise them it's going to be their christmas present i had done something fun for the grandparents um, when we found out that we were pregnant with alex so i was like oh i get to do it again and i had to call my parents um when my water broke and give them mixed news mm -hmm. i had to tell them that they that i was pregnant and that chances were good that before they came out, I was going to lose this child. Yeah. And so I can only imagine, I mean, we've talked about it, but the heartbreak a parent feels when their baby is losing a baby. Yeah. And um, sure enough, my parents came out and we celebrated Alex's birthday, a, a bit abbreviated. <laughs> yeah. Um, Because I was sort of on a modified bed rest. My water had stopped leaking so they didn't know what that was about you know all these medical statistics and um the night of alex's birthday we went to bed and i felt a twinge and i'm not one to have contractions so i didn't know what was going on um but the next morning i woke up and i was definitely having contractions and so i called my doctor and he said you need to come in we need um we need you in the hospital and tony was at work so my dad took me to the hospital yeah and stayed with me and um irony of ironies i was on the obstetrics floor so as i'm laying there in bed with monitors hooked up um as they're just kind of monitoring me and watching me i'm listening to newborn babies cry and realizing that i was not leaving this hospital with a crying baby nope and so as the day wore on you know, blood pressure is going lower and lower, and that's a concern to the doctors. And then um, about 7 o'clock that night, I started to spike a fever. And that was one of the things that they had warned me about, that I could um, start to develop an infection. And so at that point in time, they made the decision that they were going to induce labor. And so um, the day after Alex's birthday... Mm -hmm. I delivered Andrew Mark. It's okay. It's all right, hon. And he never took a breath. Nope. Love and him just like any other child. Alex, yep. knew, Alex knows all about his brother. Mm -hmm. And I sunk into a deep, deep depression. Mm -hmm. 
pulled away, pulled far away. I totally retreated. I remember coming home from the hospital and Alex couldn't find his blankie. And he just started crying. You know, I want my blankie. I want my blankie. And I remember being in his room holding him and he's I just crying out saying, I want my baby. Yeah. And we had had um, Tony's cousin had had twins the week before. So here we are. We're heading into the Christmas season. And my parents are out. My brother is out, you know, all to support us and to be with us for the holidays. And I pulled away from everyone. I didn't, you know, I just wanted to close in on myself. And I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even talk to Tony. I, I wanted to grieve and I wanted to talk about Andrew. And, and I was going through this grieving process and he was going through his own, but it was so different. And I was just like, why won't he talk about it? You know, it's that woman thing. Like, I want to talk. I want to talk. And he was doing what he had to do. I didn't want to talk. I was angry. I was pissed off. Yeah, I was. I would just sit there and just. I was screaming at God. You know, not just for the loss of Andrew, but man, the loss of you. What were you going through? I I, I didn't know how to deal with it. It's not like you grow up going, eh, mm-hmm. you know, I think I'm going to deal with this one day. And then when you're hit with it, you're hit from all sides and people are talking to you and, and my brain just doesn't work like, okay, let me compartmentalize this person and this person saying this. I, I mean, I'm a very emotional individual. I, I'm about the emotion and I, and I feel it and I sense it and that's the way I, that's where I go. And so when we were going through this, uh, I was just angry. My emotion was anger and it was it was taking hold of me. It was taking root in my heart. And man, I was just, I was pissed. I was pissed off at, at you. I was pissed off at God. I, I mean, I took it out on Alex. I, I, I took it out on everybody. It, it hurt. It hurt a lot. So here you have two people. One sinking deep into depression. One very angry. And um, I remember we went away in February. Warner Springs, one of Alex's favorite places. Alex's favorite <laughs> vacation. Gosh, up to about a year ago, that kid always talked about that place. This tiny little hot springs here outside of uh, about 45 minutes from where we are. And, you know, I think I think your parents were watching Alex that weekend and we're like, oh, we're going to get away. And um, we both kind of put on a happy face like, oh, we're, we're going to get away. You know, time to ourselves to just sort of refocus. And I so remember sitting across a dining room table from Tony and I couldn't even look him in the eye. There was such a big disconnect that I would look at the people over his shoulder so that I didn't have to look at him. We were laying in the same bed and we could have been in two different rooms. There was so much space between us. I think I can even remember us making love that night and it was just empty. It was just empty. It was nothing. It was Two bodies rubbing up against each other. That was hard. It was very hard. It was very hard. I mean, to look at what we have now, to looking at that, mm. wow. And I mean, it, it was a long road back, too, because I remember, so it was February. I remember in March, I went on um, the church that we were attending at the time, was taking part in a women's retreat, and I'm like, I'm going. I'm getting out of here. And... I had such a longing in my heart for a child. Uh, those of you that have lost children, you know that it it leaves a hole. And I remember praying to God on that trip. I'm like, God, I, I need you to heal me because we we aren't going to be able to go on like this. Uh, you know, I would love to have a child. I would love to have one, not to replace Andrew but to help heal that hurt. And, but more importantly, my marriage is in trouble. My marriage is in serious trouble and I can't fix it because we were so far apart at that time that it is nothing short of a miracle with all the other, you know, with the challenges that we faced in our marriage that we are still together. Yeah, Uh, truly. You know, 
And sure enough, two months later, <laughs> I was pregnant <laughs> with Abby. With Abby, and that you know, a subsequent pregnancy after the loss of a child is fraught with its own issues. Um, there were they were all the doctors were very cautious with me and you know I was getting through that first trimester and getting to 18 weeks and then I'm just holding my breath for you know those first 18 weeks where I'm like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen what's that twinge what's what's my body doing and um you know so when people say how does miscarriage how does child loss affect your marriage there's a reason that statistics are so high regarding divorce for couples that have gone through that yeah. because it tears you apart. There's so much grief and pain and hurt and hurt and anger and anger at each other, at the situation, at God, at the people around you who mean well, but don't know what to say. And so they say stuff that is really just stupid. Yeah. You know, yesterday I was reading, out of Rob Bell's new book, Sex God. And there was something in there that I want to read that caught my attention about this whole time period for us. And it says, it's possible to be married to somebody and sharing the same bed and be very disconnected. It's possible, it's possible to be married to somebody and sharing the same bed and even having sex regularly and still be profoundly disconnected. There's a saying in the recovery movement, you are only as sick as your secrets. This is true for relationships as well. If there are secrets that haven't been shared, topics that can't be discussed, things from the past that are forbidden to be brought up, it can cripple a marriage. And so there, and in this point, there is Elise and I, they're sleeping together, but they're really sleeping alone. And you know, in those days after and months, you know, even the conception of, of Abby, there are many a times that we were sleeping together but truly we are sleeping alone. Agreed. Agreed. And so people want to know why we do this. Why, why do we take the time to put stuff out on the air, you know, fill up our website with blog entries and, you know, our thoughts on life and intimacy. And it's because we want to help. We want to be a resource for marriages that want to be extraordinary. You know, we talk about the fact that, you know, we mentioned earlier, we don't have all the answers, but we want to create a community where people are dialoguing on our website, where they're saying, hey, you know what? This is what I think makes an extraordinary marriage, or this is what we've been through, and this is how we got through it. You know, whether it's child loss, where you just had to dig in deep and start slowly communicating again and that's that's what happened in our case i mean it was you know baby steps yeah and if you're going through something like this and you're in a world of hurt and you're in a world of pain i'm gonna tell you you need to talk to your spouse you need to get to counseling mm -hmm. you do and this is one of the dumbest things elisa and i didn't do and i kick myself in the butt because we didn't do it sooner back then was getting help. It is not, and I'm going to say it again, it is not wrong to go after help. It is the best thing you can do for yourselves is to get out there, find a counselor, find that third party who can get in between and start breaking down the walls and the barriers. And there are many good ones out there. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, lead you guys to Corey Allen out of uh, simplemarriage.net, a great guy. And I, and I know a great person that can help many folks who are just banging their heads against the wall and need some, somebody in there, a third person in there to just work through some of this stuff and don't guys. And I, and I had it and I had it. I was there. I was your atypical egotistical. I don't need help. You know what? It's easier for me to go to a coach for my cycling than it is to go getting counseling or coaching for my marriage. How screwed up is that? How screwed up is that? If you're going to a 24-hour fitness or some LA fitness and you have yourself a coach, a fitness coach, and your marriage is crumbling before your eyes, I think you need to rethink where you're doing, what you're doing, because it's probably time to get a counselor. 
And I'm saying that from the heart. I really am because it is one of the dumbest things I did. And years later, when the anger inside of me was building up, Alex was three-ish at the time. Abby was a newborn and the anger was so intense in my heart. I, I couldn't bear it anymore. We finally went and sought help. And it was the best thing. The best thing we did. Now, did it just happen overnight? Poof, it's all done? No. Come on. It might happen for you that way, but it wasn't for us. It took a lot of time and work with Elisa, with our therapist, talking through some stuff, talking through some ideas that we needed to look at, but it helped. It broke down the walls between Elisa and I, between Alex and I. And it wasn't the last time. I mean, I've gone to my pastor at our church. I've talked to him. I've talked to other other guys. So I'm going to say if you're in some world of hurt, it's it's time to. Well, and I was just going to say we've we've talked about finances and we've talked about child loss, but there are a myriad of hurts and issues that couples are facing, whether it's adultery, affairs, finances, pornography. We don't know. Alcoholism, drug addiction. Mm -hmm. There's there's so many. There's so many and. You know, we're not going to you know, necessarily hit on every single one of them, and we're definitely not going to do it uh, tonight. But, you know, the point is get help, seek counselors, seek pastors, seek marriage coaches. And if it's not us, you know, we're not going to jive with everybody. And we appreciate that fact. We know that our message is not for everybody, but we encourage you to keep seeking for what you need because the most important thing is that you work on your marriage. You make your marriage one extraordinary marriage, whatever that means to you and your spouse. Mm -hmm. The way we define an extraordinary marriage is going to be completely different from our good friends. They have a different dynamic. You have a different dynamic. We're not defining that for you. We just want to equip you with knowledge and with tools to, to go forward in your marriage and to make those steps so that one day you're sitting across the table from your spouse and you're like, wow, who knew this was going to be so good? Yeah. Who knew? Who could believe that it's actually getting better? You know, that we're bucking these trends and instead of you know, just falling into ruts, that it's actually getting better the longer that we're married. You know, that's, that's the point that we're getting to. Where, you know, when we celebrate an anniversary, we're like, wow, you know, that year was really good. Can't wait to see what the next one's going to bring. Or even if there was crap in that year, <laughs> which we've had those years, yeah. we're looking forward to the next one because we're doing it together. Right. And when we went through our 60 days, even though that was very much physical, what we came and what we've started to learn afterwards were these six forms of intimacy. And so when we look at an extraordinary marriage, we started looking at what are these six forms of intimacy that allow for an extraordinary marriage. And those six forms of intimacy are emotional, your mental or intellectual, your spiritual, your financial, your recreational activities, doing things together, and then your physical. And when all six of these are working together, that's when I believe, and Elisa would believe too, you can have this extraordinary marriage. Now, are you going to have an extraordinary marriage 24-7, 365 days a year? Nope. It's not going to happen, guys. <laughs> it's not. But can we have an extraordinary marriage 85% of the time, 90% of the time? Sure thing. Well, and with that, it's, you have more good days than bad. Right. You know, when, when I know that we're both working on our marriage, you know, there are still times that I get ticked off about stupid little stuff. You know, like he said he was good, like tonight. Not, no, no, no. Tonight? I was going to say a couple, couple of uh, weeks ago when I was going to take my buddy John out for, for his birthday. Okay. Well, go ahead. Bring that one up. I'm sure they'll get a laugh out of that. Go ahead. So Elisa and I've been on a cash flow plan since the first of the year because we, we've gotten a little loose with our finances and we just wanted to tighten it all up. It wasn't horrible, but it was just enough that it was annoying us. And so I was going to take my buddy Nick and I were going to take 
our friend John out for his birthday and I needed 20 bucks. And so before leaving, I asked Elise, I said, Elise, can I get 20 bucks? And she's looking at me, well, where's your money? Well, I had spent my money earlier in the day on some brake calipers for my new bike. Well, her response was, sorry, you, you spent your money. Well, I was sitting there going, well, wait a minute. Do I not make the money for the household? I know you do your part too, but it's 20 bucks. And Elisa's holding pretty firm going, I'm not budging. That's 20 bucks. It blows our budget. You know, you're, you're, you're hurting the family. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. It's 20 bucks. I'll go out tomorrow and I'll bust my butt. And I'll get another job and I'll, and I'll pay you back the 20 bucks. But it was, it was the principle for me. It was a principle. <laughs> and for me, it was just 20 bucks. But Elisa was ultimately, I agree, correct. Because I was blowing our cash flow plan. I was a little irritated. And we were irritated with each other. We were, we were off to church. And I just, you know what? I was at the point where I just said, you know, Elise, here, have it. I, I got five bucks in my wallet. That's what I'll spend, whatever. And, you know, I got out with the guys and went to go pay for my portion of it. And there was a little note on a $20 bill that said, I'm sorry, which I appreciated. You're welcome. Because ultimately, even though I dug my heels in, I realized that, you know what? It wasn't worth it. I, I'd made my point loud and clear and stubbornly so. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I wanted him to come home happy. And I wanted him to come home happy to be coming home instead of still irritated that, wow, you know what, honey, it was a $20 bill. And, you know, so we have those moments. I was actually going to mention that tonight you said you were going to pick something up at the store and you got home and you're like, oops, I forgot. That was truthful though. I totally spaced it. Right. But it was the one thing I'd asked you to do. And so I was like, (laughs) so I left him to set up. Wow. I already forgot about that. That's the beauty of Tony, his short term memory. Anyway, we're uh, we're going to wrap it up for tonight. I hope those of you that have had the same questions that our listener did, I hope we've answered some of those for you. If we haven't, like Tony said, please feel free to contact us. If you want to talk to me, it's askalisa at oneextraordinarymarriage.com. If you want to talk to Tony, it's at asktony at oneextraordinarymarriage.com. The phone number is 858-754-9937. That's our listener feedback line. And we'd be happy to hear from you on any of those forums or on our uh, on the blog at oneextraordinarymarriage.com. Stay in contact with us. Let us know what you want to hear about. You know, we, we have lots to say, but we want to know what you want to hear. Yeah. And I think what we're going to start hitting on next, we're going to start hitting on these next these six forms of intimacy. Mm-hmm. We'll start digging deep into these and hopefully we'll get some, some feedback from you guys and we can start putting it in there and we'll just start digging in what we do to, uh, to be in these intimacies in, in within each form of intimacy and how we start bringing it all together. So thanks for listening to us. Thanks we, for a great night, everybody. We, we appreciate you letting us talk a little bit longer than we normally do, but it was worthwhile for us. And I think you'll probably, as you listen to it, find that it was worthwhile for you too. So until next week. Have a great one, everybody. God bless.